Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Well, there was once a professor uh, who was asking his college philosophy class a question, and he said this, which do you think is the bigger problem in America right now? Is it ignorance or apathy? One young student piped up and said, I don't know, and I don't care. <laughs> that that, that kind of that, that kind of puts it all together in perspective is that that sometimes there is a bit of apathy that I think we we can find ourselves struggling with. There are times we can find ourselves in a position of, you know, I just don't know if I really care. And you know what? I don't really know that, that I know to care. I, you know, there's a lot of things happening in our world, but, but I, I, I'm just not sure that it really means something to me. I think far too often we find ourselves uh, in, in a place where we're comfortable we find ourselves in a place where we, 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 we're unmoved. We, we don't want any kind of, of change. We just, we just simply don't care. We're unconcerned about the spiritual condition of our own hearts. We really are unconcerned about the spiritual condition of our family, our community, the people we work with, our neighbors, our nation. Last week, we started a new study here in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, and, uh, and, 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 and I asked this question, what's the state of your spiritual house? That's the question I asked last week. What's the state of your spiritual house? Are there areas that have been neglected that maybe have been put off or perhaps need attention? We looked at Nehemiah. Nehemiah was an ordinary guy. He was not a, a pastor. He was not a priest. He was, he was not someone who was in full-time ministry. In fact, he was just an ordinary guy. He was a Jewish guy that, that happened to live in a foreign nation, uh, the nation uh, uh, of the Persian Empire, and, uh, and happened to serve in a, a position in the state house, so to speak. He was a cupbearer to the king, a foreign king, a Jewish man living in a foreign city, serving a foreign king. And, and years before the city of his father and grandfather had been attacked, their, their place of worship, their house of worship, their temple had been destroyed. The city had been destroyed. The walls had been destroyed. The gates had been burned with fire and were, were, were torn down. And the people of Israel had been carried off into exile by a Babylonian king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And there they spent 70 years. The people were there held as captives and exiles. The Babylonian Empire eventually fell to the Medo-Persian Empire. New leaders came into power, and it was under a Persian king by the name of Cyrus that a first wave of exiles were allowed to return back to the city of Jerusalem to begin to rebuild the city. However, when they got back, they soon faced resistance from those who had occupied the land. And, and, uh, and when they were in captivity, uh, while they had been released and, and, and came back to rebuild, there were people that were there that settled in that didn't like the rebuilding that was going on. And they felt they, they experienced resistance and the work stopped. The people became discouraged by the magnitude of the work that was there, as well as by the resistance they had experienced. And the result was apathy, complacency, and compromise. 
And at that point in their timeline, a prophet arose by the name of Haggai. Haggai was raised up to deal with the apathetic, indifferent behavior of the Jewish people who had returned to Jerusalem. They had started to rebuild the temple, but they got discouraged in doing it. It didn't look like the temple that Solomon had built. They didn't have the resources. They were experiencing the resistance. And and eventually they said, you know what? I just don't think the timing is right. It's not time. The time is not right to build the Lord's temple. And Haggai the prophet came on the scene and he said, this is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And here it is, starting chapter one, starting in verse three. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink and never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, not only or only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Haggai was raised up to stir the people out of their complacency, out of their apathy, out of their place of comfort. God had put a word inside of his heart to stir the people, to challenge the people, to get them stirred up so that they would carry out the work that God had put in their hearts to do. And they got back together and they, they rebuilt the temple and Ezra the priest was there and, uh, and they re, but they soon got they soon got discouraged again. They, they were trying to rebuild the walls. They were trying to rebuild the city. But again, they faced resistance and discouragement. And soon apathy had set in again. And the city walls remained in disrepair. And the city gates remained burned with fire. And it's what we learned last week that this is when Nehemiah's brother returns to Jerusalem and shares the plight of the people. Nehemiah chapter 1, 3, and 4, they said to me, those who survived exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates are burned with fire. And when I heard these things, this is Nehemiah, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. When Nehemiah heard what was happening in the plight of the people in Jerusalem, he was stirred in his heart. He was stirred by a burden in his heart. There was something inside of his heart that stirred up that caused him to mourn and to fast and to weep over this city. Why? Because the walls were broken down. The gates were burned with fire. The city was vulnerable. It was not safe. It was open to attack. The the security system, so to speak, was, was in disarray, not optimal. And even though he had never been to that city, the state of Jerusalem and the brokenness and the reproach of the people began to move him to tears and began to move him to a place of prayer and fasting. He heard the problem. Something needs to be done about it. Have you ever heard a problem and you thought to yourself, something needs to be done about that? Something needs to be done about that. Perhaps you look around and there's needs in our community and you say something needs to be done about that. 
Perhaps you look around at our nation and you say, man, the walls are broken down. There is brokenness. There, is, there are things that are just not right. There are systems that, that just things are, something's not right. Something needs to be done about that. Our hearts being broken and stirred. Nehemiah was stirred for, for this city, the city of Jerusalem, God's city, the covenant city. And, 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 and this city was God's plan upon the earth. So, so what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah weeps over it. He begins to weep over the city of Jerusalem. How many know that Nehemiah is not the only one that ever wept over the city of Jerusalem? A prophet by the name of Jeremiah, before they were ever taken into captivity, wept over the city of Jerusalem. Wept over the city of Jerusalem. Another man that we know very well, his name is Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem, had a burden over the city of Jerusalem, the same city that Nehemiah saw. These three men all had the same thing in common. They wept over the city knowing that it was supposed to be much more than it was, that the condition of the city, not only the physical condition, but the spiritual condition of the city had moved in their heart and it moved them to a place of prayer and fasting. What moves you to prayer and fasting? What burden does God use to move you to a place of prayer and fasting? What stirs in your heart that moves you to a place where you are willing to get on your knees and weep over it? Are there situations in your family, maybe in your kids or your grandkids, that move you not to simply a place of anger, but to a place where you weep and you mourn and you fast? Is there something in your community or a need in your community that God pricks your heart and stirs in your heart, not just to get angry and somebody ought to do something. Let me type a post on social media to let everybody know this angers me, but simply moves you past that to a place where you're stirred to pray and to fast and mourn and seek the Lord. Nehemiah was moved. There's always something going on in our desperate world. And our reaction to that need is vital. Our reaction to the information we hear and at some point ought to, ought to move us. But I think far too often what we experience is a common thing that we might call compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue. That is, we see the need over and over and we begin to say, well, that's just the way it is. Well, that's just the way it is. Lord, I certainly hope you do something about that. I certainly hope you'll raise up somebody to do something about that. I don't know. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. I'm convinced that at some point that God wants to break our hearts with the things that break his. I think at some point God wants to break our hearts with the things that, that break his. And so may I ask you a question? What moves you? What moves you? What, what need moves you? What need does God put before you that, that moves you? 
that stirs you. Nehemiah was moved. He began to fast and pray. But what we're going to see in Nehemiah chapter 2 is we're going to see how Nehemiah moved from a place where he was stirred in his emotions to a place of action. Where he was stirred to prayer and fasting to a place of action. In Nehemiah chapter 2, we see that there is a, there are some action steps that Nehemiah takes, but there's a process in which God moves Nehemiah from place in which the burden stirs in his heart to the place where there is action and he does something about it. <coughs> Today I want to share with you three principles to move from stirring to action. Principle number one, you've got to be steadfast in the waiting. You've got to be steadfast in the waiting. You say, pastor, you just talked about being moved to action. Let's get started. Let's, let's, let's do something about this. Well, let me, let me go back again and just kind of Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 1. Here it is. In the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I'd not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid. As I shared last week, from the time that Nehemiah had received the news from his brother where he was stirred and moved to a time of prayer, it says was in the month of Kislev or Chislev, depending on how you pronounce it. And that was in the months of November and, and December. And now when we open this up, it's in the month of Nisan, which is the month of March and April. It's the springtime. Over a hundred days had passed from when he first had received the, 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 first received the news and when he began began to weep and he began to pray over that. Nehemiah, when he first heard the news in the month of Kislev, did not run right into King Artaxerxes and say, there's a problem. The walls are, are, are down and the city's in reproach and the gates are burned by fire and we need to do something about it. Notice Nehemiah didn't do that. He didn't run right out and, and run right to action. He, he didn't bring it up the next time he was in the king's presence. Instead, he waited in prayer and continued to do his job. He was stirred, but his stirring did not move him to just simply a reactive action. Didn't move him to reaction. Instead, he waited in prayer and in fasting. He Waited, Even though he was cupbearer to the king, someone the king had trusted, someone that was close to the king, who had advised the king up to this point, he hadn't said anything. And really up to this point, he hadn't even let the stirring and the emotion that he was feeling in private come out in public. You have to understand, why not? Well, it's important to note in that time, when you came into the king's presence, you better come in with a good attitude. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? You better come in. You better come in lifting up the king's spirits. You better come in optimistic. You better come in happy and ready to do your job. Because if you came sad in the king's presence and you, you weren't ill, you didn't have a good reason. Even if you did, the king at that point, I mean, many times those kind of people in power, they were kind of moody. Uh, you know, maybe somebody in your house is like that. You just never know what you're going to get. And at that point, he could have been out on the outs. That's what happened to the cupbearer with Pharaoh. 
that led to, to the, the Joseph in the dream. He, he was good one day, and the next day he was in jail. I mean, you don't come into the king's presence. It wasn't safe. He, he had to take care of the king, protect the king, make sure the food was, was good to eat and safe to eat, the wine was safe and satisfy, satisfying, and, and that he was ready to, to advise the king whenever the king was contemplating a decision. He was right there in the king's presence. He wasn't to come in sad, and up to this point, in this season of waiting, it didn't mean that he didn't care. He continued to fast and to pray. When he came in, it didn't mean that he didn't care, but what it, what it simply meant is it wasn't the right timing. He had to, he had to wait on it. The timing was not right. Day in and day out, Nehemiah was troubled by the state of the people in the city of Jerusalem. It had to be difficult for him to, to work in that environment, to be in that place where, where the person that probably could do something about this need and this problem was right there in his presence, and yet not, 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 not share that problem, not, not open it up. Well, why? I asked myself, Why? When I was studying this, I said, why? Nehemiah, why? Why did you wait so long? Why, why did it take you over a hundred days before, before, before you finally did something? Before you finally brought this need up? Before, before you finally shared this? Why did you wait over a hundred days? So that's when my study took me to Ezra chapter 4. After the first wave of Jews had went back to Jerusalem to work on the city and the temple, there was a group of people, as I mentioned, who weren't happy about it. And so they set out to stop the work, and they, they wrote letters to none other than King Artaxerxes, the very king that Nehemiah worked for, the very one that he was the cupbearer to. And they said, this city is a city that's known for its rebellion. This is a wicked city. It's known for its rebellion. If they rebuild this city, they're not going to pay taxes or tribute or anything to you. Look at it. Ezra 4, starting in verse 11, to King Artaxerxes from the servants in the trans-Euphrates. See how they kind of phrase this? I love it. Your servants. The king should know that the people who came uh, up to us from you have gone to Jerusalem and are rebuilding, uh, and, and they're rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. Look at this. They're restoring the walls and repairing the foundations. Furthermore, the king should know that if this city is built, its walls are restored, no more taxes, tribute, or duty will be paid, and eventually the royal revenues will suffer. Isn't it always about money? Isn't it always about money? The very person that, 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 that they had written to was, was this guy that Nehemiah worked for. This is the king that Nehemiah worked for. So the trouble that, that, that Nehemiah hears about, that the walls are, are not rebuilt, the gates are burned with fire, the people have stopped the work, they, they, they've stopped doing anything. Well, there's a resistance. And what are the resistance? The resistance got all the way to Artaxerxes. And so what does Artaxerxes do? Verse 21. Ezra 4.21, now issue an order to these men to stop the work so that the city will not be rebuilt until I so order. This is how King Artaxerxes responded. Stop the work. So the very problem, the very problem of why the work had stopped and why the walls had not been rebuilt was because of the very boss that Nehemiah had. So Nehemiah says, oh, okay, the walls are, I, I'm stirred by this. The city's in reproach. God, you, you know, you, you promised to restore. The walls are broken down. The, the, the gates are burned by fire. Uh, we need to do something about this. But the very guy who, who is the guy that can do something about this is the very one who ordered the stopping uh, of the work. 
How many know when there's a situation like that, you go, boy, I I just don't know what to do. Have you ever been in a position where there's a burden, there's something that stirs you, but you don't know how to move to action because you just like, this just, I don't know what to do. Ah, What am I going to do? That's where waiting comes in. That's where waiting on the Lord comes in. That's why we gotta, we gotta be faithful and steadfast to wait on the Lord. When he stirs our hearts, he's gonna do something, but it might not be as quick as what we want. It might not be as quick as what we want. Nehemiah began to pray into it. He began to pray into it and not only pray into it, but as he began to pray into it over those months, as we're going to see, the Lord begins to put a, a vision inside of his heart. He begins to put plans inside of his heart for, for not just something needs to be done, but this is the materials that you need. And this is how you need to do it. And he begins to birth in him during that time of waiting a vision and during that time of waiting, he begins to to stir his heart to begin to plan and calculate, hmm, what kind of materials are we going to need? And where can we get those materials from? And using his cupbearer position and, and, and that role in the kingdom, he knows who's in charge of what. He knows who's in charge of the forest where they can they can get the, the wood that they need. And he knows who's in charge of the supplies. And he knows what kind of protection, because it's dangerous, that he's going to need in his travels. And as he's waiting and as he's praying, And as he's fasting, the Lord is beginning to stir and birth inside of him a vision and plans for how to get the work done. Listen, waiting is not inactivity when you are praying and seeking and allowing the Lord to begin to stir up some plans in your heart, some vision in your heart, some vision. As you begin and God stirs you with a need, begin to pray into that and let God begin to develop the vision in you. Let God begin to develop the plans in you. Let God begin to to creatively have you begin to write down and make it plain. This is what we need. This is what, Lord, I see it. Okay. This is how we're going to, this is how you want us to, this is what we're going to need. Okay. Begin to, begin to birth that in me. Why is that important during the waiting? Why is that important? Because eventually as Nehemiah was praying about it, he, he could no longer suppress the emotions he was feeling any longer. And one day the emotions he was feeling that day from prayer and fasting carried over with him when he went into the king's presence. And what happened next is that he was faced then with a window of opportunity. So secondly, you've got to be wet ready when the window opens. You've got to be ready when the window opens. You see, in the waiting, you got to be steadfast in the waiting, but the steadfast in the waiting will prepare your heart so that you're ready when the window opens. Here it is, verse 3. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what do you want? Who talk about a window? What's he do? I prayed to the God of heaven, right? This isn't one of those long prayers, by the way. There are like, there are like 12 prayers throughout. Nehemiah was a praying man. Okay, but at this point, the king says, what do you want? And Nehemiah goes, okay, here's my window. Oh, Lord, help me. Here's my window. This is what you've been doing in me for these last few, last hundred days. I've been praying into this, and you've been giving me vision. I think this is the moment. I think this is the moment. You've opened up the window. I think this is the moment. I think you're ready to do something. Oh, help me. 
help me get it out, help me share it, give me favor with the king. And in that moment, he begins to lift up a prayer to heaven. Friends, you got to be ready when the window opens. you got to be ready when the window opens. God is stirring up a, a, a vision in some of you. God has been stirring up a burden in some of you. You've been praying into that. you got to be ready. Be ready. Be ready when the window opens. Be ready when the window opens. Oh, king, 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 you're opening up. Why are you so sad? He doesn't say, because you stopped the work on the walls in Jerusalem. Did he say that? King, it's your fault. If you hadn't stopped the work, this would have never been the condition. Did he say that? No, he was wise. And what's he do? He says, oh, king, the city where my, my ancestors are buried. You know, my granddaddy, I, I wasn't in that city. I, 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 I was born later on. I was born here, but, but the city where my, where my granddaddy was, the city where my ancestors are from, where they're buried, that, that, that place lies in ruins. He didn't say the city of Jerusalem. He didn't, didn't stir it up. He didn't point fingers. He didn't place blame. He, he began to make it very personal. Very personal. The city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins. That, that's what's gripped my heart is that, that I've got a burden here. I've got a need here. And I'm not blaming you for it. I'm just sharing. I'm just sharing that there's a need here inside of me. Friends, we gotta, we gotta not be accusing. Sometimes we get accusing. Sometimes the window opens and we get accusing. We're not wise in our words and the window shuts. We're not wise in how we handle things. We're not, we don't allow the Lord to direct and we're not, we're not wise. We, we rush in and we, we rush with accusation and we're not wise with, with, with kind of, okay, how, how, what, what's the best way to approach this and how do I handle these conversations? Nehemiah was wise. He was, he was ready. God had been preparing his heart. He was ready at that moment. Also, what, what we say, Nehemiah didn't miss the window of opportunity. He, we, it, when fear, he, fear could have easily taken over. I'm not supposed to be sad before the king. What, what's going to happen if I'm sad before the king? Oh, he's seen that I'm sad. And, and, and if I, if I share with him what's happening here, man, I could end up in, I could end up in prison. Uh, I, I could lose my life at, at the very worst. I could lose my life. At the very least, I could lose my job. I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I can do this. You know what, King? I'm, I'm sorry. Let me suck it up. I'm not sad anymore. Oh, there's nothing. You know, I just, I got a little sniffles this morning and yeah, I'm just not feeling, not feeling too great. You know, just give me a moment. Let me get myself together. It's okay. Did Nehemiah do that? No, he didn't shrink back. You see, the time that he spent when he waited in prayer and fasting prepared his heart and gave him courage to step through the window of opportunity. There are so many times where we pray, God, save my friends. God, save my neighbors. God, help me. Help, help, help my neighbors to come to know you. Give me an opportunity. And the window opens up. And the question comes or the opportunity comes. For you to be able to share about your faith with your neighbor or about your friend. And all of a sudden that moment comes up and you get gripped by fear and, and you choke. Anybody ever been there before? I have been there before. Can I just, I have been there before, right? There are times we miss the window. There are times we miss the wind. There are times we're not sensitive. We, we're not paying attention when God opens up the opportunities. We've been praying, we've been praying, we've been praying, but then we, we miss it. Friends, you got if you want to move to action, you got you've been waiting in prayer. You gotta be ready then when the window opens to walk through it. Can I, can I share something that I found very interesting this week in my study? 
This is one of those things that I, I got to be honest with you, Bible college didn't teach me this. All right, I was like, whoa, I missed this. Uh, King Artaxerxes, he, he's known as Artaxerxes Longimus. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, he is the stepson of somebody that you might be familiar with, somebody by the name of Queen Esther. Did you know that he was, that, that Queen Esther was his stepmother? That, that his daddy was a Hasserus or Xerxes, depending on, on which name you want to give him. The very King Xerxes, a Hasserus that we see in the book of, of Esther. Esther is his stepmom. His, his daddy was Asherus. And, and, and so what, you might remember the story of Esther, right? The story of Esther. Esther was one who had, had, was a Jewish girl herself and, and through circumstances had, had, had had the opportunity to, to marry the king. And, and there was a, a, a wicked servant by the name of Haman who wanted to see all of the Jews like, like the Nazis, just all of the Jews just gone, just wiped out. And he, he kind of got the king to make an edict that that would happen. And here's Ezra, or here's Esther, the queen, and, and she's there. And, and, and she, you know, she, she well, what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do? And, and her uncle, a Jewish man by the name of Mordecai, says to her, perhaps you've been brought in to the kingdom for such a time as this. And now you have Nehemiah, another Jewish man who has influence as a cupbearer right there. Sometimes it's not the people that occupy the political positions that are the ones that, 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 have, that, 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 that we ought to be praying for. Sometimes we ought to be praying for the advisors that are around them. Daniel was an advisor to Nebuchadnezzar. Esther was the queen right there to be able to influence uh, King Xerxes, Ahasuerus. And now you have Nehemiah who was right there. Joseph was not Pharaoh, but certainly God put him in a position to be able to influence Pharaoh. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Just because an elected official that you want to get elected doesn't get elected does not mean that God is not working. Nebuchadnezzar was not a Christian king. Artaxerxes is not a Christian king. Asherus, his, his father, Xerxes, was not a Christian. Pharaoh was not, was not a Christian pharaoh. Okay? Just a little extra for you. That's a little extra. For such a time as this. For such a time as this. And now you have Nehemiah. Nehemiah's burden. And he's positioned. He's positioned. He's positioned in just the right place to have influence. To turn a situation around. And he's been waiting in prayer. And God has stirred his heart for a reason. And he's positioned. And now when the window opens up. Just the. Just. just <laughs> for such a time as this. I'm right here. For such a time as this. And Nehemiah didn't miss the window of opportunity. Friends. you Don't miss your window of opportunity. Don't miss your window of opportunity. Be ready for the window of opportunity that God opens up, that you've been praying into, that you've been ready to step into. Don't miss your window of opportunity. Don't miss the window of opportunity. Oh, friends, Nehemiah recognizes the opportunity, takes full advantage of it. Look at verses five to eight. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? And it pleased the king to send me. And so I sent a time and I said to him, if it pleased the king. 
May I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. May I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beans for the gates of the citadel by the temple, for the city wall, for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. Yeah, did you see? Where did he come up with this list? When the king said, he, says, he said, this is the problem. And the king says, well, okay, well, well, well how long are you going to be gone? Well, well wait a minute, how, how long is it going to take? Nehemiah had an answer. When he, and then Nehemiah says, you know what, we're going to need some things. I'm going to need safe travel. And, and so will you write a letter? Because I know you need, will you write a letter? See, this is what I meant by the, the vision being birthed in his heart during the season of waiting. And then, then we're going to need some timber. Will you give me a letter to the, to, 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 to the keeper of your park, the keeper of your forest? So that I might get some Tim. See, see, during the waiting, he had all the plans. And so when the window opened up, he was ready to go. He had the, the faith. He recognized, man, the favor of God. I, I, and I know the timing. I don't have to say, well, let me figure that out and I'll get back to you. And miss the window. Maybe the king would have changed his mind. No, he, he knew this is about how long it's going to take. And this is about what we need. And this is the supplies. And this is the protection. And this is what we need. He was ready when the window of opportunity opened up and God's favor was upon him. He had prayed into the burden and he was ready for the door to open up. But oh, friends, th- th- this never, never, never would have happened. Never would have happened had he not been willing to plan. Sometimes we think planning is unspiritual. I'm just going to be honest. Sometimes we think planning is unspiritual. God, you just move in the suddenlies. God, you just do it. God, you just do it. How many know that before it ever rained a drop, God gave Noah plans for an ark? Before any nail was even driven in, God gave, gave Noah plans. And Noah had to be obedient in those plans and wait on the rain. This just really spoke to me this week, friends, is that sometimes we want the rain to come, but we're not willing to do the planning and the work that it takes to be prepared when the rain comes. We want the rain of God's spirit to come, but we're not ready for the rain of God's spirit to come because we haven't been obedient and we haven't been willing by faith to work the plans that God has given us. Oh, that'll preach. That's a whole nother message right there. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Moses was giving plans for the construction of the tabernacle and given the name, given names of the, the people that God had given that he had gifted to be able to work before a curtain was even sewn. God had put in David's heart a plans to build a temple, but God said, you're not going to do it. Solomon is going to do it. And David put the plans together and began to put the resources together as God gave him. But it wasn't until Solomon that came along that it was built. God, God, God moves in plans. The waiting is there for the planning so that when the opportunity, when the opportunity comes, you can be ready to walk through the window. It's the waiting and it's the the window. But oh, friends, oh, friends, oh, friends. Oh, I'm just going to skip slide number 13. Okay, I'm skipping it. You got to be ready. You got to be ready. You got to be ready when the window opens. But listen, there's a key principle that you might miss. And I I missed it, I think. I mean, I think I kind of just assumed it, but I, but I, I didn't really hit on it. One more key principle that might be missed that's oftentimes when action is blocked, it's really what brings action to fruition. It's what, it's really what, what brings the action to fruition. And that's this. You've got to be willing to be sent. Nehemiah 2.5. And I answered the king. 
If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Let him send me. Let him send me. When the window of opportunity opened and Nehemiah had been given plans, he didn't say, oh, king, send someone else. Oh, king, will you put a crew together, a construction crew? I'm just a cupbearer. I'm not really a project manager. I don't really do a whole lot of construction or know what to do. But I know you got people in your kingdom to do. Go ahead and send them. Will you send them with resources and send them to do it? Oh, just, just lift the band that you had on, on, on that. If you just lift the band, then, then command the people that are already there in Jerusalem and tell them to get back to work. They need to get back to work and start doing it. He, he didn't push the responsibility of the burden onto someone else. He didn't say, oh, there's a need in our community. Oh, pastor, won't you, just, won't you start a small group for that? Don't, pastor, won't we start a ministry? Can't you get people to do that? I better stop before I get on a roll. I get that a whole lot. Pastor, don't you see the need around? We need to start a ministry for that. Maybe God is stirring in your heart to start a ministry for that. Maybe God wants to use you. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. I mean, you don't understand. I mean, that's going to take a lot of time. And I don't know if I have the time for that because I, 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 I got this going on and I got this going on and I got this going on. I mean, absolute Nehemiah, why should I give up my place in the palace? Why should I give up my cushy job? I mean, I'm sitting here in your presence, King, all the time. I get to eat the best of the food, the food that you eat, and I get to try it before you try it. I get to have the best of the wine to drink, and I get to try it before you try it. And when you come with a decision, you're consulting me, and I'm right here in your presence. I got a cushy job. What? You want me to go where? Back to the rubble? You want me to go where and get my hands dirty? I've been sitting here, and the heaviest thing I've had to lift is this chalice filled with wine or this plate filled with food. And now I'm going to have to pick up a hammer and now I'm going to have to hold a sword and now I'm going to have to go out and I know it's not safe out there. Oh, but send me. Send me. He had to be willing to leave the comforts. He had to be willing to leave what was comfortable. He had to be willing to leave. Oh man, this is my well-paying job. I got, I got to be willing to leave. What? You want me to do what? Oh, oh, oh. But friends, when you're stirred with a need, maybe God is stirring it in you that you are the answer to the problem. Not somebody else is the answer to the problem. You're the answer to the problem. You're the answer to the problem. Like, like this reminds me, I just, it reminded me of, uh, of Isaiah chapter six and verse eight. When Isaiah, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. 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 Friends, there are some of you that God is stirring. He's been stirring something up in you. He's been giving you some plans and vision. And if he hasn't, I believe he wants to do it. There are some of you that God wants to, wants to begin to stir. He wants, he's stirring it. He's stirring it. He's stirring it. And he wants you to wait in prayer as he begins to birth it. And he opens up the window of opportunity. But he's, he, he's saying, will you say yes? Will you say yes? Will you say yes? Are you willing to go? Are you willing to do what I'm asking you to do? Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone? Are you willing to step into the destiny that I have for you? Are you willing to step into the way in which I have created you and want to use you for such a time as this? 
Romans 12, principle. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. God, here it is. This is my body. And it is yours. This is my life, but it's not my life. It's your life. I am surrendered. I want to be a vessel that you can use. I say, here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. Danny Cox, a former jet pilot turned business leader, in his book, Seize the Day, shares that when jet fighters had first been invented, they flew much faster than their propeller predecessors. As a result, pilot ejection became more sophisticated, a more sophisticated process. He writes this, theoretically, of course, all a pilot needed to do was to push a button, clear the plane, then roll forward out of the seat so the parachute would open. But there was a problem that popped up during testing. Some pilots, instead of letting go, would keep a grip on the seat. The parachute then would remain trapped between the seat and the pilot's back. So the engineers went back to the drawing board and they came up with a, an, a solution. Cox writes this. He says, the new design called for a two-inch web strap. One end was attached to the front end of the seat under the pilot. The other end was attached to an elect, uh, to electronic take-up reel behind the headset. Two seconds after ejection, the electronic take-up reel would immediately take up the slack and force the pilot forward out of his seat, thus freeing the parachute. And here's the bottom line. Jet fighters need, needed the device to launch them out of their chairs. Here's my question for you. What does God need to use to launch you out of your seat? What's God need to use to launch you out of your seat? It's easy Sunday after Sunday after Sunday to come in here and to worship in our cushy little pews and to sit here. Meanwhile, there are needs all over the place and God is saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Who's gonna, who, who am I calling to take care of this need? Who, 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 who's gonna be willing? Who's gonna be willing to allow me to stir their heart? Who's gonna be willing to wait on me in prayer and allow me to stir up a vision? Who, who's gonna be, who's gonna be ready to say, I'll go when the window opens? Who's gonna be willing to be launched? What, what is it gonna take for God to launch you? Nehemiah got a burden and he waited in prayer and when the time opened up and the, and the window opened up he was ready for it but rather than say send someone else he said oh here am I send me send me king send me king send me to lead the work send me to do the work send me send me send me friends God is preparing and qualifying you to step out and willingly say yes to his call Nehemiah was presented with a need that broke his heart and grabbed his attention. Come on, worship team. He prayed and fasted, and he allowed God to, 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 to open a window of opportunity. And then he presented the plan. He courageously stepped out in faith. He asked for provision and protection, and then willingly offered up himself and said, send me. Send me. So maybe you're here, and you're hanging on to your seat. And today God is stirring in your heart because he wants to launch you into something new. He wants to launch you into something new. Are you willing to be like Nehemiah? Maybe you're in the waiting. Maybe God has stirred up something in your heart and you just haven't seen the window open up yet. Don't give up. Don't give up. You're in the waiting. 
Pray into that. Pray into that. Pray into that. Fast into that. And as God begins to creatively give you ideas, begin to write those down because that's God's plans that beginning to birth in your heart for what he wants to do. Maybe you're in the waiting. Maybe this week God's going to open up a window for you of opportunity. I'm praying that your heart is sensitive when God opens up, that you're ready to walk through that door, that you're ready to say yes and courageously and boldly say, okay, Lord, I'm throwing up a prayer. Here I am. Give me favor. Give me favor. There's a window opening up for some of you. Maybe it's this week. Maybe it's this month. Maybe it's in the next couple of months in the waiting are you willing to pray into it or maybe you're at the place where you're hearing like Isaiah whom shall I send and who will go for us and you're wrestling with you whether you're going to say here am I Lord send me here am I Lord send me are you are you in that place where you just need to let go and say God I'm available here I am send me God I'm available here I am Send me. I'm available. Here I am. Send me. What comforts do you need to leave behind? What, what do you need to let go of? Some of you are hanging on to some things, and God's saying, You got to let go of that. 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 Jesus, we're in this moment right now. Holy Spirit, right now. I believe the Holy Spirit is stirring some of your hearts right now. Some of you are in the waiting. I'm praying that you do not give up that you don't give up, that you don't give up, that you remain steadfast. For some of you, I'm praying that God gives you a sensitivity when the window opens. And for some of you, you're in that place where you're wrestling. And today the Lord wants to know, are you willing to say yes? Here am I, Lord, send me. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to go. If that's you and you say, Lord, I'm willing. Lord, I'm willing. If you're calling me, if you're calling me, if you're opening up the door for me, I'm willing. Today I'm willing. I'm going to say yes. Today I'm willing. I want to say yes to you. If you're willing, will you just slip up your hand right now? I'm willing. Pastor, I'm willing. If the Lord says, will you you go. I'm going to say, I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing. Come on. Come on. Jesus, you see the hands. And I know, God, that you have, you are preparing these folks. I know, God, that you've already put some vision inside of them, that you've already burdened them. And you're just, you're saying, God, they're saying, I'm, I'm willing. I just pray for that heart of surrender, that God, as they wait on you, that you will give them wisdom and you will birth vision in them. That God, you will begin to give them creativity and you'll begin to, to miraculously provide for what you're calling them to do. I pray, Lord, that as the window opens up, that God, they'll be ready. I pray a readiness in their heart, a readiness to recognize what you are doing and the wisdom, the wisdom to be able to walk through with your favor. That your favor would be on, your favor would be on them. And that God, whatever they need to let go of, whatever they need to surrender, that Jesus, you would give them you would give them the strength to surrender and let it go to surrender and let it go god that's what we do today we surrender and we let it go father if there's anyone here that maybe the first step is to surrender their life to you jesus we surrender our lives to you we surrender our lives to you we ask you lord for your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy and we just surrender and say here i am i'm yours i'm yours I'm yours in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.